been, you know, uh, doing this series on the kingdom of God. And, uh, you know, we've, we've, this is something that I feel that after spending that time in prayer and searching what God would have of us, that this is what we need to be talking about, speaking about, looking at in this year that God has given us. And so today we're looking at the kingdom of God is Christless. And so I have this important question for you today. When did you have to give up something you valued for a greater cause? When have you had to give up something you valued for a greater cause? See, these are the kinds of questions and issues that Jesus is dealing with. I, you know, you kind of laugh at that doll, and it's probably the closest picture I could find to the one that I had, but it doesn't even compare to the doll that I had. <laughs> I shared this story once before, but I felt it does fit today very much into this story. I, I was about six at the time. Many of you know that uh, I'm from Cornerbrook, Newfoundland, uh, raised by a single mom. Uh, we had a little back room in my grandmother's apartment. Uh, literally, my brother slept in a single bed. We slept in a double bed. I used to kick my mom black and blue. Apparently, I kicked all through the night. And we had a dresser that you could hardly open up the drawers, and there was enough space to walk between those two beds, because that's what we had, right? On that one dresser that my mother was allowed to have this for space, all of our clothes was there, but I had some little space on top of that dresser that I was able to put a few of those prized possessions for me that I thought were very important back in those days. And there was, I don't even know who gave the doll to me, but there was a nurse doll with the cap, the full thing, and she was in the center of that mirror dresser. I can see the dresser today with the mirror. And she was in the center because she was special. She was that doll that was still wrapped. Remember when we used to wrap them up and there'd be a bow on top and plastic and she was wrapped up and, and she was in plastic and she hadn't been opened and I didn't play with her because she was so special to me. And so it sat there and I would look at her and love looking at this nurse's doll. Now, I never did become a nurse so that didn't have anything to do with that. And so the interesting thing was my grandmother from the Salvation Army uh, always was working for missions. There was always something going on. Back in then, the, 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 the homely was always doing stuff for missions. She had a lot of colleagues and friends that were on the mission field that she would write, and I would hear the stories of them writing back to her. And my grandmother loved the crochet, very, very fine thread crochet. And I used to sit there and watch her in the, in the little dining room in the corner chair, and she'd have her time with Jesus. And then she would sit there and sing hymns, and you didn't want my grandmother singing hymns. But anyway, she would sing hymns, bless her heart. And she would there and crochet. And she would make, back in those days, you know the bells and the hearts and all this, and it was this long string of stuff, that yards and yards and yards of it. What my grandmother was doing was uh, crocheting the edging that would then be put on sheets and pillowcases, and they would be sold so the money could go to the mission field. And she would do that tirelessly. And, and there was um, a moment when the big, big box came in the middle of our kitchen where we spent most of our time was in the kitchen back in those days. And this great big huge box came into the kitchen and my grandmother was starting to pack it. And what was the story? I wasn't very old, but my grandmother said, well, we're packing this for Africa. We're packing this box for Africa. And so she started to fill it with tea and blankets and different things 
that she had been communicated about that would be important for the missionary friend in Africa. I can't even remember which country in Africa. But the box was almost full, and my grandmother looked at me and said, Betty Lou, because that's my name, by the way, Betty Lou, but I go by Betty. But my grandmother called me Betty Lou, and so she said, and a few other people do. Um, and, and so she said, what do you have to put in the box? Hmm. What did I have? Didn't have a whole lot. But my grandmother said to me, now hear me right. You can't just put anything in the box. She said, it must be the thing that's the most valuable to you. What is the most valuable thing that a child would have of a single mom? The doll. I remember my grandmother's face when she seen me bring this, because they all knew how special this doll was to me. Great news. It was my grandmother's pleasure that makes me weep. Her joy. Because she realized I got it. And I understood sacrifice. I understood that if I was going to give something to missions, if I was going to give something to God, it had to be something I valued. And I remember my grandmother saying, oh, that is so wonderful. That is, that is just so wonderful. There's going to be a girl in Africa that is just going to love this doll. And so she was pleased with the choice that I had made. And so it still touches me today to see the joy that my grandmother had as she was teaching me this life lesson about faith. But what does it mean to follow Jesus? And so today, we're looking at the reality that the kingdom of God is valuable. That, you know, we need to think about the fact that the kingdom of God is priceless. It is something of great value. And Jesus teaches these parables of the treasure and the great pearl. And he says the kingdom of God is priceless. And just for a recap for those that haven't been on this journey with us, after praying and seeking what God would have for us, I knew that the Lord was saying that what we need to be doing in these days is we need to be seeking the kingdom of God first over all other things. We need to seek his righteousness first. And in the midst of anxiety, in the midst of mental confusion, in the midst of all that's going on, if we seek his kingdom first, all these other things are going to be taken care of. We need to seek his kingdom first. And, and, and so we say, I, I say, Lord, but what do you mean by kingdom? That word is used that there's so, in so many different ways. And so why, how can we learn about this kingdom? What is this kingdom like? And then I realized that Matthew 13 tells us, it's the words of Jesus, that he wants to tell us exactly what I'm talking about when he says, I'm talking about the kingdom. He's already giving us uh, an answer. He's giving us some of these parables when he starts right off and says, the kingdom of God is like. And so over these weeks, we've looked at the fact that the kingdom of God is mysterious. 
there is this wonderful secret of the kingdom of God. And we looked at the parable, we said, right? It's really the parable of the different soils. And, and there's this reality that there is good soil that will receive the kingdom and receive the word of God and will bring forth a wonderful harvest. But there's math there, too, that we know this. Not everyone is going to get it. The math that Jesus gives us is about 25%, one in four. And then we looked at, not a message we wanted to hear, but the kingdom of God is contested. And we looked at the fact of this parable of the wheat and the weeds and the enemy plants the weeds in and, and the reality of, uh, of the fact that if you are part of the kingdom, expect it to be challenged. Expect that it's not always going to be easy. But we also learn very clearly from that word, it's not our job to be going around pulling, pulling up weeds. That we are to allow the weeds to grow. But my friends, there's coming a day when the harvest will indeed come. Remember what we said, that you bloom where God has planted you. And so then we looked at the fact that the, the kingdom of God is gradual. And so we looked at the parables of the mustard seed and the leaven, and then it's gradual. And we said, little is much when God is in it. It's not in the power and the loud and the mighty. It's in those smallest things that is able to bring and usher forth the kingdom. So little is much when God is in it. And so today, we look at the reality that the kingdom of God is Christless. And so we see this first parable in verse 44, when he begins to talk about this kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all he had and bought that field. There are three parts to the story. And we see this story as it unfolds, that we, we realize that the, the value of the kingdom is not always obvious to people. It's sometimes hidden like a treasure hidden in a field. Now that seems kind of strange to us. There are treasure hunters all around. But back in Jesus' day, banks didn't exist. And now you have to understand, they have been overtaken by the Romans. You're not going to leave your valuables in the house. Because the chances are going to be part, become part of Rome's treasury. <laughs> and so you had to find a place you could hide your most valuables. And the place they would hide it was often on their property somewhere that they would dig a hole and hide it away. Unfortunately, if you were taken into captivity, if you had been arrested, if you had been crucified on the cross, as they used to line the roads with crucifixions, then that treasure, nobody would know it was there and it would be forgotten about until somebody found it. And so this man is one who somehow has found this hidden treasure and although it was the law back in those days that it was finders keepers, if you found it, it was yours, he was a little bit wiser than that and we're told in this word that he goes and hides it again and then he goes to buy the field so it's rightfully his and nobody can object. To the fact that he has found that treasure. But you know the amazing thing is. He found something so valuable that Jesus is saying here. He's willing to sell everything to buy that field. Also there is great joy. Many people have talked about the joy that's in this story. The man does not go out out of duty. He doesn't sell his possessions because he's been told to. He does it out of sheer joy of discovery. He's not upset. 
He's doing this because he wants to. This is one of the things that, interesting, Mike, Pastor Mike and I have been discussing the reality that nobody is compelling those young people to still be in that service in that university in Asbury. They're there because they want to be. <laughs> They're in the presence of God. One young girl said, well, it's been so many days, and I guess I've spent about 100 hours here. I just go home to shower, and I've had a little bit of a rest, but I'm back here. Nobody is saying you should be there. You better show up to chapel. <laughs> I'm sure they've heard that. <laughs> they want to be there. And this man is wanting to do this out of sheer joy. And the point of that part of the story is he sold all that he had. Notice that this parable doesn't tell us that he sold some of what he had. Or most of what he had, he sold all. And so we see this reality of total commitment that Jesus is talking about in this parable. And then we see the parable of the perfect, wonderful pearl. It says in verses 45 and 46, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls, when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. That's why these two twin parables are put together. The search for something of ultimate value. There's also three points in this parable that Jesus is telling. And, and so this is a merchant. This is one who is on a quest he is out searching for pearls. Now, here's the amazing thing. Some of us don't see pearls as valuable today. But in Jesus' day, the pearls were the most valuable possession, even beyond diamonds, even beyond gold and silver. Pearls were of the greatest worth because I didn't realize this, but you realize that pearls is one in 10,000 oysters. That's a lot of oysters. Now, I've seen a few people up west that love oysters so much they cave their driveways in them. But you have to eat an awful lot of oysters to find one pearl. The truth of it is, in Jesus' day, it would have been areas by waters where oysters live. And then it would have been, like we see in some parts of the world today, people who were willing to do the deep, deep diving and go down to the bottom of the seafloor and find those oysters and bring them up. This is why they were so valuable in those days. And so this is where Jesus tells them about the most valuable, precious thing this man is in search for. And he just has been buying pearls but he finds the pearl of all pearls. The pearl of the greatest price. The best of them all. Magnificent, beautiful, of the highest quality, unequal, incomparable. And so, once he finds that pearl of great price, similar to the other parable, he sold everything. Not just some of his pearls, or most of his pearls and other items, he sold everything to purchase that pearl. Whatever the cost. My friends, today I want to challenge you that whatever the cost is what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. Notice that that's what this is saying, that this man, these two men in this parable, these parables sold 
everything in order to have what they were able to have. You know, I, I was thinking today, the kingdom of God is valuable. Why is it valuable? Why is Jesus saying to us that this is so valuable? The kingdom of God, my kingdom, is valuable. Well, one of the things we know clearly, because Jesus was willing to lay down his life for it. He gave his all. He came. He laid down his life. He was crucified. He spilled his blood because he believed that it was worth it all. And no matter what the cost, this was this challenge as we look at our Lord as he walked the earth, as he got into the Garden of Gethsemane, was to do a, a, a short change, find a quick fix. What was, what was the enemy trying to tempt him of in that place of temptation? You know, Jesus, you don't need to go through this. You don't need to go to the cross. Let me help you have the kingdoms of this world. And Jesus knew that he had to pay it all or would not purchase our salvation. And so the kingdom of God, my friends, today is valuable because Jesus was willing to lay down his life for it. It is that pearl of great price. But as someone else has said, and it's so true, what are you worth? See, we're living in a day when people don't know their identity. They're struggling to find themselves in their identity. They're going around, and I meet so many people who feel worthless. But somebody rightfully said that, that in the previous parables, we were told that the field was the world, and in the world are buried treasures. Guess who the buried treasures are? You, and me, and us, that God values above all things. He values us today. No one is worthless to God. Not one person. And I know my own personal walk in life that that was something that was life-changing for me. It was transformative for me in the moment that I realized that I had worth. Because God said so. That Christ was willing to die for me. That God had a purpose and plan for me. And so I, I can only encourage our young people, I hope you begin to know that at a young age, that you are valued, valued by this church family, but more importantly, valued by God, that you are loved, and that you are like that treasure hidden in the field that God is coming for <laughs> and wants. Jesus gave everything for us because he valued us. He was willing to die for us. And so here's this challenge today that we're looking at. What do we value most? Now listen to this story. Tim constantly expressed his love for Julie. She was the apple of his eye. He said he proposed and she accepted. Ah, oh, the fervor of love. And he bought her a ring. Now it was kind of small. And though he was wealthy, Julie said... He, he's saving so we can have a good standard of living together. Then a promotion came along and he accepted the promotion, though it meant him going to Nottingham when she was still living in London and couldn't leave. Oh, he's preparing for our future, she told herself. I, I mean, more to him than this job, of course. He could still see her on Saturdays and late afternoon after the sport was over. Then he got a new car, and he'd come down after he washed it late on Saturdays. 
His new friends in Nottingham begged him to come down to the pub Saturday nights, and he said, well, I love you, Julie, and there's no one more important to me, you know, we'll still meet on Sundays. They did meet on Sundays. Tim was a bit too tired to be much fun, but he still loved her very, very much, he said, and he told her so all the time. Now, some of you dear women, older women of the church, would have a real good talk with your Julie. <laughs> and there was a book out in a movie a while back that said, he's not really that into you. Why are you settling for less? But why do I bring up that story? I, I said, clearly, when you start to hear this story, we come to the conclusion that Tim doesn't value Julie. He really doesn't value her. Why do I say that? Because you cannot give lip service, my friends. You cannot go around and talk about how much you love Jesus and not have time for him. Not have the time for the things of God. Because ultimately what Jesus is saying through these parables, our actions will show others if we really value Jesus and his kingdom or if we don't. And so, do you value, what do you value today? There are many pearls, but there is only one of great price. These two parables emphasize also, there is a cost, but it also, have you ever met Christians that all you hear about is the cost, and it's a drudgery, and it's a, oh, joy, I get to go to church today. It's a joy to serve Jesus. It is a joy to be a part of God's kingdom. It is a joy and a delight to do the things of God. And if you find prayer is a burden, if, if you find doing the things of God a burden, and there's something wrong with your heart that needs to be checked. Because Jesus made it very clear that in his kingdom there is joy. It is a joy to serve him. It is a joy to follow him. And he says that the mark of a Christian is great joy. And I thought of this when somebody said this. The Christian life that is joyless is a discredit to God and a disgrace to itself. Do you have the joy of the Lord today in your heart? I hope and pray you do. All throughout scripture, the joy of my salvation restore unto me. Now hear me right. This is the mistake we make. We think when you say pastor joy, you mean that I need to be happy 24-7. So let me put the and I'm miserable today, but everyone's going to think I'm Sunday when I come in the door. That's not what we're saying here, friends. The joy of the Lord is so important in our lives and is so real, but it's not about our circumstances that we're going through. There's a deep joy that I can have in my spirit that no matter what I'm going through, nothing can take it away. You've met people. I saw Archie this past two weeks ago or so when we were in visiting uh, someone in the home. And I wasn't really allowed to go up to Archie because the, the rules are that when you go in to see one, you're only supposed to see one and leave. You can't do see multiples right now just to present, uh, prevent spread in our nursing homes and places, hospitals. Makes sense. But Archie was sitting in a wheelchair and it just blessed me to see him. Because even as he was sitting in the wheelchair, we've seen him in the different homes. We used to have him here in our seniors' events. We loved him to pieces. 
But seeing him even in that wheelchair, there was a joy on his face. And the nurses were loving on him and he was loving on them. And I thought, oh, Archie, how wonderful. Did not know that we would, none of them, I think anybody expected to get the call or to hear that Archie had passed and he's now in the joy of the Lord. See, it didn't matter his circumstances that he had found a secret. He had found a joy that's greater than anything or anyone that we might meet or experience. And then he also says is that if you value the kingdom of God, now this is not a, a great <laughs> message that people are going to say, oh wow, Pastor, that was really good, because I know I over the years when I've talk, talked about counting the cost, it's usually not the most favorite message. But Jesus is very clearly saying here, that if you want to be part of my kingdom, it's going to cost you. You need to count the cost. See, you know, we've been talking about this. It's not about I have an important part. You have to start and know this. It's not about I've got my ticket to heaven. And I sit. The kingdom of God is too valuable for that. You've got your ticket to heaven. Hallelujah. Amen. But the kingdom of God is so valuable that it cost Jesus everything that now there is an important part of our journey in this journey of the kingdom that we all do our part. There's a cost to all of us to be a part of his kingdom. That we're willing to lay it all at his feet and allow him to be our king and his reign over our lives that he decides. It's his decision about what he will allow us to have and continue or not. You know, this, this is costly, so much so that these two parables tell us that these two men did what? They dug, or they searched. There is this reality of, of what we do, and then we're told in these two parables that the one bought, sold everything to buy the field, and the other one did everything he could and sold everything to buy that one pearl. And so I want to tell you today, and here's the challenge, you cannot serve God half-heartedly. It's all or nothing. We have to wholeheartedly serve the Lord and follow Him. It's a whole heart and life position that He's asking of us. Too many people approach the kingdom of God as just give me a plot, Jesus. <laughs> Give me, you know, like, give me just that part of the field where the treasure is that doesn't cost me so much, and I'll get the treasure and I'll get it all with just very little investment. That's not what this parable says. This parable says that he was willing to sell everything to buy the whole field because of that treasure. And my friends, that is what God is asking of us. Now, we have to be very, very clear here. When we're talking about the value of the kingdom. We are not talking about you purchase your salvation. None of us can purchase our salvation. You, you are not selling everything to follow Jesus and say, well, I'm going to earn special privileges with God. I, I'm going to do this, and then he'll have to, you know, you hear so many jokes at the pearly gates, and it's so wrong, because somehow they think that if I get brownie points, I'll, uh, as they say, St. Peter, let me in. <laughs> Well, it might sound funny as a joke, but it is the saddest story you've ever heard. Because there is only one way 
Those are Jesus' words, not mine. Jesus said, I am what? A way? No, Jesus said, I am the way. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And so salvation has been purchased. You cannot buy your way, and it is not something. So that's not what we're talking about here, and I always have to put that there, because it would be easy for someone to say, well, Pastor said, that is not what we're talking about here. We're talking about this salvation, this wonderful gift. is so amazing, so divine, that I am willing to give my all for it. And it's a joy to do so. And I couldn't give him anything less. That's what we're talking about here. That's what the kingdom of God looks like, is that we're willing to give our all. Someone also said it this way, membership in the body of Christ and his kingdom is not a hobby, it's not a social organization, it's not a mere weekend exercise. It's a 24-7 lifestyle. Jesus talked about how costly this would be. He said, if anyone would come up after me, what are they supposed to do? This is all throughout the Gospels, my friends, though we don't like to talk about it much. Jesus said it very clearly. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. That means that you are willing to count the cost. And I have made uh, times of my own journey with God where I've gotten on my knees and I've had to sing that great old hymn, I Surrender All, that I was taught in the church as a child. But it means this, this day I've got new things that I need to surrender to the Lord and allowed to be nailed to the cross with Christ. Every season of our lives, every challenge that we go through, there are things that the enemy would want you to settle and make compromises and make excuses when Jesus says, no, 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 my friends, this calling, this kingdom is about daily. You have to count the cost of what it is to follow me. I share this not in any pride. I share this just to talk about the reality of cost. And I was looking for another picture, but I didn't have time to go through our bins of pictures. <clears throat> that was before they were all online. The picture I was thinking of was the same place that this used to be my mother's home, but it was my mother's home in Brampton. We had sold our house and moved in with her because we were leaving for Europe. And the picture, I don't even know whose station wagon it was, but somebody with a station wagon came to get us because of all of our pans. Yeah, all of our earthly belongings were now in suitcases because everything had been sold. And uh, that picture, and we only had Tina and our son Philip at that time and Mike and I, and there's a picture taken of us my mother took on the driveway before we went to the airport. Man, if you had seen our faces. We were a sorry looking bunch. <laughs> uh, and, and so there was the reality that when we heard this call of God, that it was all or nothing. That it meant that God was calling us to study in Europe. We didn't understand all the reasons why at the time, but God was calling us to leave our church, to leave our family, to leave everything we know, and to step out into a brand new adventure where we didn't know a soul. And to take two children into it. And I mean, the rest is history, right? God's been faithful. 
This picture was before we came here. That was the last night before we came here. Our family barbecue. And, and, and why am I saying that to you today? I'm saying that to you today that following Jesus has a cost. For all of us. See, see we usually look at missionaries. We look at pastors. We look at people in ministry full time. And I've had this conversation with Kaverly. I've had this conversation before with Bracton. Those that are in the process preparing for ministry. Once you become a district licensed minister. Once you become an ordained elder in the church of Nazarene. There is an understanding that you will go wherever God is sending you and calling you. I'll go with you. With you. All the way. But this parable, these parables weren't written just to pastors. They weren't written just to missionaries. They were written to the children of the kingdom. Now, praise God, God does not ask all of us to leave our families. Only a few will be asked to do that. But I'm challenging you today, what's the cost? What's the cost that God's been asking you? Might be your time. That today is a commodity for sure. It, it might mean to put away those pleasures and those things that are so important to you to spend more time in prayer. It might mean to use your talents for the furthering of God's kingdom, like working on a quilt <laughs> for one of our homes. God is, I believe God asks all of us. That's what this, these parables are about. God asks all of us to count the cost. Because this kingdom is so valuable that nothing else is worth it. And my friends, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. And so some of you have been counting the cost, and I want to encourage you today not to give up. <laughs> For a due season we shall reap. Don't give up. Continue on. Keep on keeping on. Hallelujah. But some of you have been challenged, and I know the Lord works on all of us very, very uniquely, and he's asking us in these parables, are you willing to count the cost? Do you value my kingdom above anyone and everything? That's a hard question. But my friends are such joy, unspeakable and full of glory when you settled that question. When you said, yes, Lord, I surrender all. It's all yours. Jesus, have it all. <laughs> There is a freedom and a joy in that when you begin to hold on to life's things so loosely that nobody in this world or anything can replace. It was many years later that God gave me this promise, you know, after doing all this and, and saying, okay, Lord, and even this season in my life, God, if you would ask me to do something, I need to be obedient. It might be just even talking to a neighbor. It might be talking to somebody at the bakery. We have to be obedient to whatever God is asking us to do. But God had given me this answer. And it was interesting because it's in Matthew 19, verses 27 to 28. 
And, and Peter comes and he chimes in. That's just verse 29 up there. But Peter chimes in and he says, Lord, we've left everything and followed you. What do we get out of it? Isn't that interesting? That's not always the greatest attitude to have. And then verse 28 to 30, Jesus replied, Yes, you have followed me in the recreation of the world. When the Son of Man will rule gloriously, you will have followed me, will also rule, starting with the twelve tribes of Israel. And not, this is the message to us, and not only you, but anyone who sacrifices home, family, fields, whatever, anything, because of me. We'll get it all back a hundred times over. Not to mention the considerable bonus of eternal life. Does God need us and the stuff? I believe God has everything in his hands. He can, he can, you know, whether I decide to give him my time or whether I decide to give him my home or whatever it might be. God is not so concerned about those things. What is he concerned about? Your heart. Because until he has all of it, I've often said, Jesus is not Lord until he's Lord of all. That term Lord means you reign, you're king, you're Lord. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. The moment we keep saying, He is Lord, we just used to sing and grew up in the church singing that song, He is Lord. What I am saying when I even sing that chorus is that He is King, He is in charge, He has all of my heart. And all of us have things that's preventing if we're not careful that we can't sing that today. Some of you have met at an altar of prayer and you've given your all to Jesus many times over. But today, the, the Lord is saying, what are you holding on to today? What have you picked up and you won't let me have? Yes, Lord, I will give you, I will follow, but don't touch this area of my life. <laughs> my friends, there's no such thing. It has to be our all or nothing. And so as we sing this closing song, I believe there's someone today that's heard this message because God has wanted me to preach it in this way. And you're needing to battle with God. And you might not get it settled today, but you need to. You need to be able to say, Jesus have it all. And so as we sing this closing song, if you need to come and stand in front of the church today is a symbol to say not to the church but to him Lord I'm giving it all to you because I know the day I walked down that aisle and my life was never the same again some of you need to say Lord here I am I don't know what you would want with me but here I am I give you my life I give you my heart I want to pronounce today that you are the savior my Lord and my all some of you have things that you're holding on that you might even need to kneel at the altar you might not have those physical things here today but you're coming to you know that you need to give it to Jesus and you haven't. And so as we sing this closing song, I encourage you to do what God is calling you to do. Amen.